You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. Um, Let me go ahead and say, uh, if there is anybody that would like to have one of those ESV um, scripture journals that we have to go along with it, we do have some up here at the front. Um, If you do want one, just wave and we can make sure that somebody gets one to you. Um, But, and if you don't want it now, you can get one afterwards, but it's got the scripture and it's got the section for the notes for you to take along with the message. Um, But if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, whether it be here in person or online, uh, we're grateful that you are here with us and you've joined us on week two of our study through the book of Habakkuk. And this has been a great study that kicked off last week. Pastor Walter taught us through the first four verses of chapter one. And uh, today we are going to continue in that study of this series on finding faith And we're looking to see how one can find faith in God and trust in him. Now, last week, as I said, Pastor Walter began those series, and he asked if we ever had hard questions, if we've ever asked God hard questions. And I want to continue that thought a little bit by asking, you've had those thoughts, you've asked those questions, and God has responded to you. But in that response that God has given to you, Has it played out in the opposite way of maybe what you were hoping or what you were thinking it could be or what it should be? I think we all have been there at some point in our lives where we have a plan, we have a way in which we want to see something done. We we don't like the news maybe that we've gotten. We're hopeful that something different will come to be. And yet when we get that response and the Lord makes clear to us the direction in which we're going, we might be left puzzled. We might be asking why. We might be trying to figure out what are we going to do next. God, what are you doing? Whatever it may be, whether it be issues within personal life, whether it be medical issues, diagnosis that come down, things are just different than what you had hoped and what you thought. Yet in the midst of all of that, God still sits sovereignly over this world. He's not caught off guard by the different things that we go through. He knows what is coming. He's sovereign. These moments, they can leave us speechless. They can leave us sad. They can leave us hopeless. They can leave us feeling alone. Yet the beautiful reality is that God is present. He gives us hope because of who he is. And as I prayed a moment ago, because of the finished work of his son. Today, we're going to see something very similar to that thought play out for us. Today, we're going to see God's first response to Habakkuk. See, over these next few weeks, you're going to see Habakkuk has a complaint or something he wants to say unto God, and God is going to respond. Well, here today is God's first response to Habakkuk. And this response is coming back from what Habakkuk questioned of him in verses 1 through 4. Remember, Habakkuk is hopeful for revival. He's wondering, he's like, God, where are you? What are you doing? This is all happening. Things are going crazy. And yet God's response wasn't what he expected at all. So let's dive in looking at this passage of Scripture. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. You can jot this down as your bottom line for this message today, and that is that God's sovereign plan is greater than our own. God's sovereign plan is greater 
than our own. The first point for us, got two points for you today. The first point is God responds. God responds. Let's read verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. Now let's first point to the reality of something that I think we easily forget. And that is the fact that God has not left us or abandoned us and God responds to his people. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. God responds to us. Let's, let's let that marinate for a second. God responds to his people. That's incredible. And though we may tend to forget that, the God of the universe, who created all things, who spoke it all into existence, who, as we studied a few months ago, going through the summer, knows every hair on our head. He knit us together in our mother's womb. That God, the God, the I am, he responds to us. We don't need him to respond to us. We desperately need him to respond to us. We need it badly, but we don't deserve it. Yet, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, he does respond. You see, for Habakkuk, he's a prophet of Yahweh, right? He's, the, he's one of the guys that he has been told by God to go and declare a message to the people. And that, in a sense, we think, oh, yeah, of course. Well, he's a prophet. He should be spoken to by God. But still, God speaks. God responds. The mere fact that it is happening is astonishing. The mere fact that it happens in our lives is astonishing. Why is it so astonishing? Well, we know from Scripture that sin separates man from God. We're separated from God because of that sin that we all were born into. And we need somebody to take our place to pay the price for that sin. And that is Jesus and what he has done in the finished work on the cross. It goes to show the character of God. It's so loving and kind and gracious despite our sin. So God responds. He says there, look among the nations and see, wander and be astounded. In the Hebrew language from that verse, just that opening verse of verse 5, it tells us, it gives us this imperative. There's two imperatives there that emphasize the urgency of God's command and the incomprehensible amazement of it all. He's telling Habakkuk and the people, make note of what is happening around you. He wants them to pay very, very close attention to what is about to unfold before their eyes. Why? Why does he want that to be the case? Well, he tells us in the second part of verse 5. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now think about this. He's telling them like, hey, you're not even going to believe this. Like, I could tell you everything you need to know, and yet you still wouldn't believe it. It would blow your mind. You know, we all had great plans, as I said at the beginning, that if it was executed the exact way that we planned and all went well, 
Everything would be perfect. We've got it all laid out. Yet the very next thing we know, something goes wrong. Issues arise, timing is off, and the plan goes completely different than the way that we wanted it to be. What about when you're hit with those unexpected pieces of news that come? You're left asking, why is this the case? There's times when the Lord allows those types of things and things that leave us scratching our heads and asking, why? Because we don't understand. But as God says here in this verse, I'm doing a work in your day. I'm doing something that you can't even fathom if it was made clear to you. It would leave you with your mind blown. Now we have to remember, our will, our wants, our desires are inferior to God's. God's will is greater than our will. God's plan is greater than our plan. See, for Habakkuk, God acknowledges Habakkuk's doubt. And and the fact that he is transparent and he is honest before God, just as we talked about last week, be honest with God. God acknowledges that. And God's going to respond to Habakkuk's complaint as he starts out doing here. But it's not going to be the way in which Habakkuk would have planned. But make no mistake, the fact that God is responding is incredible. Because when God responds, he reveals his sovereign plan. Leads me to point two, God's sovereign plan. Let's look at verse six. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of all the earth to seize dwellings not their own. See, God's response to Habakkuk's doubt and complaint is not what he's expecting. Instead of a response of sending revival, answering the prayers, solving the problems, God declares that he will handle the sins of his people, but he will do so via the Chaldeans. We can refer to them as the Babylonians. Now imagine if you're Habakkuk or Habakkuk hearing these words. Like you've made your plea to God and now God is telling you this news. God's encouraging him to wonder and be in amazement, be astounded because of his work, yet he's going to send the wicked people like the Babylonians to essentially become their landlords, to take over. Habakkuk's like, what are you doing? You ever been there? You ever hear something? God makes it clear. You see God leading in a way and left, you're just left saying, God, what are you doing? God describes how the Babylonians are about to go about their business. He's going to send them and when they come in, he tells them they, they're bitter and they're hasty. They're a greedy people. They want to take everything for themselves. Verse 7 They are dreaded and fearsome. 
Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They're a cruel people who are arrogant. They have no care for those who they attack. They don't need others because they're self-sufficient. They don't look to God Almighty. They don't look to Yahweh and say, you are our God. They want nothing to do with that. They don't care about anyone being over them. They are self-sufficient people. They do things in their own right. They had this unrivaled military power. Like they were powerful. They didn't need others. They brought much terror to the people that they came across. God, what are you doing? Verse eight, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar and they fly like an eagle swift to devour. See, the Lord is continually giving all of these descriptions of the Babylonians and what they're able to do. The horses are swift and fierce, more fierce than wolves. They're quick. The horsemen, the righteous horses, they swoop in to harm their target, much like an eagle, flying in for their prey. Like, God, what are you doing? Verse 9. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. See, they all had one focus. It says there that their faces are forward. Babylonians, they see what they need to do. They're on track. They're going to do what they need to do. The horses are swift. They they all come in. All their faces, they're forward. Let's put it bluntly. Is complete violence and chaos. Because of this focus, they're able to gather their captives like sand. You ever been to the beach and you go to pick up a thing of sand, maybe in your hands, and as you go to pick it up, like all those grains of sand just overflow. And it's so numerous, like their captives are just numerous. Again, God, what are you doing? He's asking this of God, and God's responding to this. And you you have to imagine, he's sitting there, and he's just asking, what am I hearing right now? Verse 10, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. God describes this complete arrogance of those people. They have no Respect for kings, kingdoms, fortresses. We even know from history that they would pile up dirt just to be able to go up. If there was a wall, they would be able to do that just to get all the way up to where they needed to go to attack. They were smart. They were cunning. They were just evil in what they wanted to do. This is a rough, rough message from Yahweh to Habakkuk. This prophet is hearing these words from God after he's made his plea. God, what are you doing? Intervene. I have doubts. I have fears. I have questions. And yet God gives another bit of advice from verse 11. They will sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Now, although they may sweep in like the wind, notice there what God says. They are guilty men. 
They are guilty men. They're guilty men. What they're doing is evil and wicked. Their God was their own strength. Their idol was themselves. They had no respect for God. And that is ultimately going to be their downfall. Now, you may have noticed several words as I was reading through those verses that I highlighted just a little bit. Words of things of bitterness, greed, self-sufficiency, arrogance, idols. God does allow for this to take place, yet they will not prevail ultimately. God is using this as part of his plan, and it's still, it's scratching head, is trying to figure out why, but we have to remember, God sees the bigger plan. God sees the bigger things that are coming. It's part of his sovereignty. It's who he is. God has this plan that is coming, and these are not going to ultimately destroy his people. Why? Because they're God's people. God cares for his people. Now, granted, he is disciplining them for disobedience, but he still keeps his covenantal promise. Now, what is the comfort that can be found there in that verse, in these verses? The fact that God has been hearing the cry out of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is crying out to God, and he's replied, but it's with this unusual response. When the moments arise, and we're going to see here in the coming weeks as we continue to go through this study, that as they come, Habakkuk is choosing to acknowledge God for who he is, and he ultimately will trust in him. But it leads me to ask some questions of us. As we're wrestling through this, as we hear this, and you may be reading that or listening now, and you're like, wait a minute, this, this sounds twisted. What, how is, why is God going to use these people, these evil people, to move forward to accomplish something? Like, why would that be the case? Our response to when we cry out to God are sometimes met with responses that are unexpected to us. When we have those things that we've cried out about and we're hit with a response that just leaves us saying, wait, what? I think of in Scripture as you're going through the, the book of Job, for example, right? Like Job is this righteous man, devout, wanting to honor God. And Satan comes along and says, hey, I, I want to do something. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan is allowed to go and, and, and bring about harm in Job's life. But God says, don't take his life. And we see this play out over and over through the book of Job. And yet what does Job do through it all? Times are extremely hard. He loses his family. He has all of these things happen to him. Things that are against what he would have actually wanted. They were not the desires of his life. Yet as they're all happening to him, what does he continually do? He honors God and he trusts God. And he sees some incredible things happen in his life as we get to the end of that study of Job. But it's like, that is a powerful example to us. I think about that as I wrestle through this and study this with Habakkuk. This complaint be made, and God is responding with this that just leaves us saying, wait, what? Why would this be the case? 
And it leads me asking questions about our own lives. Like, what do we do? How do we respond when there's things that are allowed that are exactly opposite of what we would have wanted? Do we take offense to that decision-making of God? Like, do we take it and do we, we start to harbor anger? And, and, all, and don't get me wrong, the Lord is not going to come and bring about a bunch of wrath on you because you are being honest with Him about your pain, about what you're wrestling with. He welcomes that. He wants to hear from us. He knows what we're already struggling with. It's okay to bring those things to God. He welcomes it. He loves us. But do you take offense to it? Do do you question God's character? Do you question his character? You might say, God, why is this happening? What's going on? But do you question his character? Do you think, well, you're not who you say you are? There may be times in your life where you have had that response. But I can tell you from my own personal life, and many people in this place can tell you from time and time again, examples in their life of how God has continually been faithful no matter what. Constantly. He has proven his faithfulness over and over and over despite the circumstance. The plan might not be exactly the way in which we would have written it, the way we wanted it, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, exactly how it needed to be in our mind. Yet God's plan is better. It may be difficult, but it is better. He's never changed who he is through it all. He's always been faithful. Always will be faithful, always will be loving and kind and take care of his people. Now, what can our response be to God when these types of things take place? Ultimately, first and foremost, as we've already seen by Habakkuk's example last week, we need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to God. When those seasons are hard, when the situations are difficult, when we're left asking God, where are you? What are you doing? Why is this the case? That is healthy. We need to be crying out to Him. Because when we cry out to God, we acknowledge who He is. We acknowledge Him as sovereign God over the world. Period. We're acknowledging, God, I don't understand. I can't make sense of what is happening here. So I'm coming to you because you know. You understand. It's your plan. So I'm crying out to you and I'm asking you to do something. Give me peace. Give me understanding. He wants to hear. He already knows what we're wrestling with. He's not surprised. And he sees what's coming down the line. He already knows. The book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, the Lord says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, when things have happened in my own life, I've wanted to say, man, I wish I knew what was coming. I wish I already knew the story's ending. I wish I already knew what was coming around the bend so I could be prepared for it. But you know, the more and more I wrestle with that thought and I look at the scriptures, I'm so thankful that I do not know what's coming around the bend. Why? Because if I already knew what was coming, my sinful nature would not want to rely on God. My sinful nature would say, okay, I already know what's coming, so I can be prepared for what's coming in three years, three months, three weeks. Yet as we do not know what is coming around in that time period, we don't know what's happening this afternoon. We trust in the one who's in control. We rely on him to get us through every moment of every day. We acknowledge him for who he is. We cry out to God. That's a big response for us. But in addition to crying out, I would say even bigger and the one that can be more difficult because of our sinful nature is to trust him. It's to trust him. Think of it this way. When you're in a relationship with someone, you don't have to automatically think marriage, but you're in a relationship with someone, a dear friend, a husband or a wife, a spouse, that, that intimacy, that closeness of the relationship, as that grows more and more and more, what happens? You trust the person. You love them deeply. You trust them. You care for them. You know that you can go to them with anything. Take that same thing on an earthly standard and place it to God. Which is far greater than anything earthly. Because He's the sovereign God of this world that loves His children, that want to hear from His children, that want His children to trust Him because He knows what's best even though we may go kicking and screaming saying, I don't think that's right. Trust Him. Build upon that intimacy with Him because God has proven Himself over and over and over. Now you could be sitting in here right now and you may be hearing these words or listening online and and you may be saying, yeah, well, I can't even get to some point of trusting whatever this God is that you're talking about. I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to do that. Maybe the first thing you need to do is to trust him for the very first time. Realizing that you can't make it in this life in your own accord, in your own strength. You need him. And he is willing to give you everything that you need to make it through this life until eternity. And he's done so through the death of his son, Jesus, and his perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross for the sins of the world. Maybe we're here and 
We do know the Lord. We have trusted in him for our salvation, yet we're struggling right now. We're struggling to trust. We're struggling to figure out, God, what are you doing? And maybe our response needs to be, first and foremost, that we repent. That we repent and we say, God, I'm sorry. I'm living in my own strength right now. I'm trying to control every situation I possibly can. I haven't given it to you. I haven't trusted that you know better than what I do. I haven't rejoiced in the fact that although I don't know what's coming around the bend, you do. And you're sovereign. And that your plan is greater than our own. Because again, that's the bottom line. God's sovereign plan is greater than our own. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask you to search your heart. Search your heart and see if you're struggling with trusting God. You're struggling with trusting His sovereignty. And if you are, I want to encourage you, brother. I want to encourage you, sister. Repent and give it to Him. And trust that He is who He says He is. trust that he will guide us he will direct us and that we will glorify him in that process would you pray with me Father God, Lord, we acknowledge you for who you are. You are our Father who sits in heaven and knows every hair numbered on our head, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who has continued to be faithful throughout our lives. God, you have redeemed us from the pit. You have saved us through your son, Jesus. His defeat of death and the resurrection from the grave. God, you are worthy of our adoration, our praise. God, you're worthy of our trust. So, Lord, as we may not understand things that take place in our lives, we may not understand the responses that you give to us when we bring our doubts to you, when we're honest with you, when we say why, when we try to figure out what you're doing. 
God, you're still faithful to us. You still welcome us to cry out to you. Lord, because you love us. We're so thankful for that love and that grace and the mercy that you've shown to us. Although we were not deserving of it, Lord. Thank you. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice. Whatever it is that they may be wrestling with right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would trust you. They would trust that you are in control. They would trust that your sovereign plan is greater than our own. And that they would rejoice in the God of our salvation as we navigate the road of journey of this life. Lord, may you be glorified. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.